Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of John. We invite you to join us at 514 Smithfield Avenue in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. As always, first and foremost, I'd like to thank our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for entering into our lives, helping us to become more and more like you, Lord. Thank you for doing for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves, Lord. We're eternally grateful. I'd like to thank the Smithfield Avenue Congregational Church for letting us do our study here, one body. I'd like to thank all the people who serve in this ministry so faithfully and all the people that support it. And a shout out to the Facebook live feed that so faithfully watches too. And thank you for helping support it too. We do have a donate button on the website. If you can help us out, please do so. We can definitely use the support as expenses go higher and higher in the ministry. If you do have a cell phone, can you please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study? And we'll start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly, Merciful, Graceful Father, thank you, Lord, for giving us this day of life, Lord, and this opportunity, Lord, to get closer to you tonight, Lord, as we gather together as your family to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about you and your character and how you would have us live while we're here, Lord. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit as a down payment till we go home to be with you, Lord, to mold us and shape us and convict us, Lord, so we can become more and more like the Lord Jesus in our walk here as we prepare for eternity, Lord. We're just so grateful that we that you got us here safely today, Lord, and you met all our needs today, Lord, knowing that every good thing comes from you, Lord. Help us always be respectful and appreciative, Lord, and thankful as Christians, Lord, knowing that heaven is our home, Lord, and that our Savior is always with us as an advocate, Lord, to plead our case before you, Lord, even when we're not so good, Lord, and faithful to you. You remain faithful, Lord. And we're so grateful for that, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. And we pray for people all over the world that are suffering in India and all over the world, Lord, from this disease, Lord, that you help them, Lord. Let them know that it's to lead them to you, Lord, the brokenness, Lord, to get them closer to you and develop a relationship with you so you can heal them, Lord, and help them, Lord. And let everything we do tonight be led by your Spirit and not our flesh. And it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen and amen. Okay, we're going to stand. Brittany's going to come up and sing and usher in the spirit, and we will get started.
Thank you, Brittany. <clears throat> How's everybody doing tonight? Okay? It's good to see everybody. A little warm today, huh? Oh, yeah. Humid, warm, a little sticky. It's nice and comfortable in here. Thank the Lord, right? We have some amenities here that the Lord provided for us. All right, we're going to continue our study in the book of John, but first we're going to go to that beautiful book of Lamentations, chapter 3, that Mary so graciously put up there for us. You know, when trouble comes our way and we start to get these oppressed, depressed feelings, and we wonder why. We have to understand that it's part of life. Depression is part of life, and Lamentations, if you ever have any doubt that, it, that, that there is, just read Lamentations. The prophet Jeremiah is lamenting over the judgment of the nation as they got, went into captivity, and his spirit was crushed. But look what he said. Look at, go to verse... Um, I'm going to back up a little bit. <laughs> okay. Let's go to verse 15. We have to understand 
that everything that happens in each believer's life has to go through the permissive will of God. It has to. Whatever's entering into your mind has to go through the will of God, whether he lets the devil attack us, whether it is for our chastisement, if it is to prune us, whatever it is, God, ha the devil entering into any believer has to have permission to do that. We're in the book of Job now, in the daily walk, right? And Job, and, and the Lord said, you've noticed my servant Job, he's blameless. And the devil said, yeah, we'll take away everything he has. You've got your hedge around him. He'll curse you to your face. He didn't do it. Then so take away his health and he'll do it. He didn't do it. And Job didn't do anything overtly wrong. Okay? They deserved the chastisement. And he did an evaluation. As a matter of fact, in today's daily walk, he did an inventory on his life to see if anything that was in him that he caused to, for him to have to suffer that way. And there really was nothing. So it's, we don't know why God does what he does, but he does it for his purposes, and it all works together for good, amen? Because at the end of the book of Job, he gets a better relationship with God, twice of what he had restored, and he was twice as joyful as he was when he first started. But going through the process of the valleys, there was much depression there. And we get depressed in this world, in this country, the way things are going. Look what it says in verse um, 15. Jeremiah, the prophet, speaking. In verse 15, he said, He has filled me with bitterness. Who's he? Who's he talking about? Who's he? The Lord. The Lord filled him with it. Look. And given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. Do you ever get into them states of mind where there's nothing really overtly wrong, and you just feel like you're in this slump? And it's like, uh, there's no joy, there's no happiness, nothing. And this is all from the Lord. The Lord's the one who put it there. Look what he says. I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time. So the Lord showed him this awful time, something to never forget. Okay? As I grieve over my loss. Now, did Jeremiah go run into a psychiatrist because he was all depressed? No. He ran to the Lord. Look what he said. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. See, he had to bring back to mind the goodness of God. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Praise the Lord, right? His, his mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. We're doing a message on hope, right? He was in a slump. What did he have to do to get out of the slump? Remember that the character of God and how he always will come through and his mercies begin fresh every morning. He started to renew his mind with God and said, this character is going to get me out of this slump eventually, amen? And that's what we have to do when we get in one. Remember God's character that he's going to get us through it. Look what it says. 
Therefore I will hope in him or wait on him. Look at verse 25. The Lord is good to those who depend on him. To those who search for him. Now, here's the key. Verse 26. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Now, what kind of salvation is he talking about here? He's not talking about salvation from the penalty of sin. He's talking about the deliverance from that depression he was in. Salvation. He was waiting to get delivered from it. So he could have joy again and get restored. Amen? Salvation means a lot of different things in the Bible. He was waiting to get delivered. So it said it's good to wait quietly for salvation of the Lord. I can testify myself. It was a couple years back when I was in a pit. I just was still coming to church, doing all the things, but my I just felt like lifeless. It lasted for a couple of years. And, you know, it was a depression. The Lord put me in that pit. He said, you're going to depend on me. I'm putting you through this season. You're going to come out even better than before, and your relationship with me is going to be tighter. Because what it did, it drove me to seek him. Every day, say, Lord, what's going on? And so I went in and looked for him and looked at these things. And I read in Lamentations, this is how he does. And this is how he gets us to get close to him. See, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And now look what it says in verse 27. And it is good for people to submit at an early age, Jeremiah, to the yoke of his discipline. Now, God's discipline is not harsh. Okay, he just wants to take, see, he knows how bad sin is, and he disciplines us to keep us away from sin, because he loves us. The motive behind God's discipline is always motivated towards a heart of love, amen? Never punishment, because he loves us. He chastens everyone he receives. Now look what it says, verse 28, let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands, let them lie down face down in the dust, for there may be hope at last. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies. For no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Can I get an amen for that? Whenever you feel like the Lord's left you, you're never abandoned forever. It's only for a season, and he's just testing your faith. He never, it says it right here. Look what it says. No one is abandoned by the Lord forever. All right, so if he puts you in a depression, he will get you out of it. Look at verse 32. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. So you say it? So look, see, this is where Christians get tripped up. It says he brings grief. So you have to understand, as a Christian, as a believer, grief is going to be in your life when you have the Lord. He brings grief. It's part of life. Sorrow, oppression, depression, all these things are part of life. Nobody escapes them. It's how we handle them and get out of them what counts. Now look what it says. Verse 33. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. See it? If people crush underfoot all the prisoners of the land, if they deprive others of their rights in defiance of the Most High, if they twist justice in the courts, doesn't the Lord see all these things? You see all the injustice going on right now, right? 
You really think God's like turned the other way and not doesn't see it? No, he sees it. See, we have to depend on I'm going to wait on the Lord. He's going to make things right. Right? When Jesus comes back, he's going to make things right. It's not up to me to get in there and try to fix it. It's up to God to fix it. Amen? It's up to me to go to the Lord in prayer to help him heal our land. I'm not God. I can't fix what's, on, what's wrong with this world. What's wrong with this world is sin. The only one that can fix it is God. People can't fix people. The problem is people depend on people for their salvation to get delivered out of something. We have to depend on who? The Lord. That's what Christians do. This takes time. We're not all there. Look at what it says. Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? You see what I just said that I told you before? I just started this service that nothing can go in your life without the permission of God, right? Where did I get it? I didn't conjure that up. It's in the Bible. It says, who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? So the devil can't have at you. You cannot have anything wrong in your life unless it's permissible by the Lord. And he has a purpose for it. And it's up to us to seek him when the adversities come. Look what it says in verse 38. Here it is right here. How come this isn't preached in churches? Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? Remember Job said, what am I only to expect good from the Lord and nothing bad? Remember? Because his wife said, curse God and die. What am I not to accept anything bad from God? Just good? I'm always supposed to be blessed because I'm such a good person? No, he says we deserve judgment for our sin nature. Now look what it says. 39. Everybody ready to hear this? Then why should we mere humans complain when we're punished for our sins? Or chastened or disciplined for our sins. Instead, instead of, instead, let us test and examine our ways. That's what Job did today, right? He tested and examined his ways, right? And let us turn back to the Lord. Obviously, how many of us drift? Right? We drift in our thought process. We drift in our in our in our faith process. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven us. You see it? You have engulfed us with your anger, chased us down and slaughtered us without mercy. You have hidden yourself in the cloud, so our prayers cannot reach you. You have discarded us as refuge and garbage among the nations. All our enemies have spoken out against us. We are filled with fear. For we are trapped and devastated and ruined. I'm going to go on and on and on. I can go all night with this. But you see, listen, God chastens his people. Why did, why did God chasten his people? Why did he send them into captivity? They, were they good people? No, they were being crazy and rebellious and disobedient. So he had to do something to get them back in line. So that's what he does with believers. We get worldly again. We get trapped in materialism again. So what does he do? He, he puts what? Even though we have all that, he puts us in a state of what? Sorrow. Even though we have everything good going for us, we still can't find any contentment. And that's from God. 
You ever say, why God? And you look around and say, there's nothing really wrong. Things are going well. Why do I feel this way? Well, maybe you're putting things in front of God. He has to show you that that stuff is not going to bring you joy anymore. He's trying to grow you up and say, no, that's not what gives you joy. I am. Those are the things that take you away from me. And I'm going to let you know that your sorrows are going to cause you to return to me. Not to that. Buying things doesn't take it away. It doesn't go away. There's a good lesson here, good principle. It's funny how people in our country think that whenever something bad's going on, oh, there's something, well, why would God let that happen? I'm such a good person. God says, why would me, me humans complain when we're punished for our sins? Look in the mirror and say, you know what? I haven't been living God's way. Maybe what I'm getting, I deserve the chastisement because I'm not doing God's will. I'm living, doing my will. Instead of looking outward, look inward. Say, why? Why is this happening to me? What am I doing to cause this? And usually if you look hard enough, you'll find out why. Because when you compare yourself with the Bible, we fall far, far short of His glory. Amen? Including myself. Or it could be that He's pruning us to bring us better into a better land. Amen? Because He's never done. You never sit here and we never arrive. Amen? Oh. He says, you think you arrived, huh? I'm going to send you some adversity to show you where you really are. Because he loves us. That was really good, good scripture there. So that's to take heart. These, these times, this past year and stuff, has been very trying times for a lot of Christians because of this COVID thing and, and all kinds of crazy things have been going. Change. It puts people in a depressive state. But let me tell you something. God's the one who sends it, and God's the one who takes it away. He knows he lets it happen just as much as long as it has to, and then he lifts it when it does what it's, what it's geared to do. Amen? What is it geared to do in your life? I don't know. I know what it's geared to do in my life. Bring me closer to him and depend on him more. Because you remember at one point, there was nothing on. You couldn't watch TV, sports, everything was shut off. That was a wake-up call. Say, look, come back to me. Right? Remember what's really important, what really counts. Your relationship with me is what really counts. Amen? And the development of that. And I'm going to help you develop it. All right, let's go to John chapter 18 now. We're going to continue our study in the book of John. The book of John is really great, a good, good study. We have all this from chapter 1 on in the podcast and on the website if you want to go back and... Get this. All right, is everybody with me so far? That was a really good scripture, that Lamentations. And I, you know, me too. I get into a whiny state sometimes. And why? It's like, John, you got so much to be grateful for. And you complain and you whine over the littlest, pettiest things. And that's just my flesh coming back to get me. I'm human. You should understand that. Am I the only one that goes through this? Okay, thank you. <laughs> we're all in this together, right? We're all in the same boat. We're all in this sin nature. We've got this flesh that's never satisfied. All right, verse, uh, chapter 18. Jesus is betrayed and arrested. It's starting to get darker now for him. His end is coming. He knows it. Verse 1. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley 
with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a, a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus, the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, or the I am is here, or I am the Lord. Also in Exodus 3.14, Jesus said, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. Once more he asked them, Who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Now, before we go any further, I just want to go back on the scriptures a little bit and explain them, okay? So I'm going to continue with verse 12 in a minute, okay? Okay, in verse 3, the Jewish religious leaders, okay, were given authority by the Romans to make arrests for minor infractions. The Roman soldiers may not have not participated in the arrest, but accompanied the temple gods to make sure matters didn't get out of control. Okay, John does not record Judas's kiss of greeting like it does in Matthew twenty six forty nine and Mark fourteen forty five and Luke twenty two forty seven forty eight, but Judas's kiss marked the turning point for the disciples. With Jesus's arrest, each one's life would ra be radically different. Okay, for the first time, Judas openly betrayed Jesus before the other disciples. He did it in front of them. Okay, for the first time, Jesus' loyal disciples ran away from him, like in Matthew 26, 56. The band of disciples would undergo severe testing before they were transformed from hesitant followers to dynamic leaders. With the principle? That's what he does with us. We go through severe testing and trials before we're what? Transformed. To be dynamic leaders. Amen. He puts us all through the crucible of fire. Each one of us. Before we become worthy enough to be transformed. To be used by him. So you have to understand the principle. Why do I get to go through this? Because the Bible tells us we have to go through it. You see? This is where 
Churches don't preach this stuff. See, we go to church, but we're not being transformed. No, we go to church to be conformed to the image of Christ. And whatever that takes, God is going to do. To each and every believer. And it takes a lot. And it says, severe testing they had to go through. All right? In verses 5 and 6, the men may have been startled by the boldness of Jesus' question. Or by the words, I am he. A declaration of his divinity. Like it says in Exodus 3.14. Okay? Or perhaps they were overcome by his obvious power and authority. Okay, in verses 10 and 11, trying to protect Jesus, Peter pulled the sword and wounded the high priest's slave. Okay? But Jesus told Peter to put away his sword and allow God's plan to unfold. You see how human beings try to get in the way of God's plan? At times, it is tempting to make, take matters into our own hands. It's a lesson for us. To force the issue, most often such moves lead to sin. Okay? Instead, we must trust God to work out His plan. Think of it. If Peter had his way, think about this now. If Peter had his way, Jesus would have not gone to the cross and God's plan of redemption would have been thwarted. Right? If he listened to Peter, Luke records that Jesus touched the man's ear and healed him in Luke 22.51. In verse 11, the cup refers to the suffering, isolation, and death that Jesus would have to endure in order to atone for the sins of the world. Amen? So we have to understand this one thing. Human beings... Always try to get in the way of the process God has to do in each and every one of us. Oh, why are you suffering? Oh, let me help you. Look, no, God has each one of us where he wants us. And we should stay out of the way of that. So he can transform us. Listen, we should not get, let the world handle the situation only God can handle. Amen? We should submit to God. He wants to do something with us. Listen, you're called to this ministry. This is a high-calling ministry. He wants to change you, and he wants to use you, not only to glorify him, but to build his kingdom. And guess what? And whatever it's going to take to get that out of you, he's going to do. Whatever it might be. Severe depression, oppression, guilt, shame, chastisement, whatever it is, he's going to use it to transform you. You know what's wrong with us? A little bit of pain and suffering. Oh, I know I can't suffer. Let me go buy something. Let me take I can't. I can't deal with this. Gas went up five cents. Americans are spoiled. But nonetheless, because our, our, our blessings here are a stumbling block for us. You see, everything we can grab, everything's so readily available to replace God when his troubles come. So we have to what? Resist that and say, you know what? Even though I have all that, that's not really what the, I don't need that. I need him. Material things can't fix it. Okay, let's go to verse 13 now. Is everybody with me so far? The very important principles here to learn. We'll back up to 12. So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards 
arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Ananus, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time, or that year. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it is better that one man should die for the people. So that was a revelation he got. Okay, here it is. Peter's first denial. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. The other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? Nope. No, he said, I am not. Why did he say no? Just imagine with the environment, the hostility of the environment now. They knew they arrested Jesus, and they knew how brutal the Roman soldiers were and everything, that if he said the wrong thing, he was going to get the same thing Jesus was going to get. Okay? So he was scared for his life. Okay? So what did he do? Don't know him. And he's the one that said, I'll die for you. Remember? He said, I'll die for you, Jesus. He says, no. Before the, the, crow, the, the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times you even know me. Don't go judging Peter, though. We do the same thing. We deny him in other ways. Now look what it says. <laughs> no, he said, I am not. Verse 18. Because it was cold, the household servants and the gods had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. The high priest questions Jesus. Verse 19. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues in the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple gods standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Now just remember, these, these were religious leaders that claimed that they knew God. Okay? And what did they do? They slapped God right in the face. That's how easy it is to get deceived, thinking you know God, but you really don't. And the only way you're really going to get to know God is from Genesis to Revelation, reading that Bible. Is that the way to answer a high priest, he demanded? Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? How many of us got beat up by the truth? Huh? This nation we live in is living a big lie. So when you go out and speak the truth of God's word, you get slapped in the face. All the stuff that they think is right and accepting, the Bible says is wrong and evil. So what the Bible says is wrong and evil, so do I. So I don't agree with the world. I agree with the word. So now, 
if they're going to come up against me, I'm saying, no, you're kind of coming up against me. You're coming up against God. I'm only relaying to you what God says about it. And I follow God and I believe in Jesus Christ. So that's what I believe. Because I am a believer. So whatever's in the Bible is what I believe. So whatever you believe out there is from the devil. Because the Bible tells me the devil's in control of this world. What are you talking about? They don't know because they're blinded. But that's the truth. You see, they don't want truth. Because if people wanted truth, this country would be all set. Because if they went by the word of God, you wouldn't even have to put a lock on your door. But no, human beings think they have a better answer than God does for situations. See? So let's go look to a man to help this country. How can a Christian be deceived by thinking some man or human being is going to fix what only Jesus can fix? You know who I'm voting for? Jesus. Until he comes back to settle things, things are only going to get worse, the Bible says. So I should expect that. So should you. No matter who's in office. Because God's plan is going to get carried out whether human beings get in the way or not. Amen? Because that's what he says. Okay. Now look what it says in verse 23. Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Peter's second and third denials. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. But one of those household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man who Air Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. And immediately, a rooster crowed, and what Jesus said, right? What did he do? This is, the account's not written, but Peter wept bitterly after because he remembered what Jesus had said. Amen? All right, let's go to verse 28. Let's stay with me now here. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor or the praetorium. His accusers did not, didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate the governor went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. They retorted. So now the religious leaders are calling Jesus a criminal. They're calling God a criminal. You see how easy it is to get deceived by religion? They really thought that they knew God. If they really knew God, they would have known Jesus. It would have, it would have, it would have came to them. Well, now it says, Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone. So right away, there it is right there, right? The Jewish leaders replied, this fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. Okay? Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. 
Are you the king of the Jews? He asked them. Jesus replied. He was so calm and cool and collect with everything. Listen, look what he said. Is this your own question? Or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus responded, You say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. You see it right there? All who love the truth. Not everybody loves the truth, you know. That's why not everybody comes to church and not everybody believes in Jesus because not everybody wants the truth. If they wanted the truth, they'd all be here. They want a lie. They want to live a lie. It's easier. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Could you imagine they wanted the revolutionary to be released and Jesus to be crucified? What kind of, what kind of twisted mind could people get? Can, can Christians get twisted like that too? They are. They're twisted right now. The way the churches are right now, their minds are twisted. The churches are in a bad way. They're only recognizing money and worship and all this. Never change, never repentance, never confession, never mind, never saying, wow, you're a, I'm a sinner, I need to repent, I need to glorify God, I need to live a life worthy of my call. None of that's being preached anymore. Name it, claim it, it's yours. Live your best life now. Just come to church, give us money and go, and you did your penance. Nothing to do with the Bible, nothing. No reason why, it has no, uh, no relevance of why we got saved. The reason why we got saved, we got saved so we could actually live a life worthy of our call. Was something that we couldn't do before we got saved. Jesus saved us from ourselves. You have to admit that you're a sinner before you could even accept the Savior. The problem is, people won't admit that they're sinners. The only way Jesus can come into anyone's life, even a Christian, is to admit that they're a sinner in, in need of a Savior. But if you say to yourself, well, I'm really not that bad, well, Jesus said, I didn't come to people to, to call the righteous. I came to seek and save those who which are lost that know that they're sinners and need a Savior. So you go to church and there's no sinners. We don't need a Savior. We're all born into sin, each and every one of us. Some of us hide it better than others. All of us got what we all have a sin nature. And all of us are in the same boat. And there's not one person on this planet that's better than any other one. We're all made up of the same stuff. But there's people 
that evaluate their life by what they possess instead of what's in their heart. Jesus, I mean, when um, remember when God was looking for a king, King David? The first, the first of the brothers where they picked were prominent. The handsome ones, the ones that were prominent, the ones that... No, that's not the one we want. See that guy herding sheep down there? He's the one. He's got my heart. That's the one I want. He says, people judge by appearance. God goes for the heart. A man after, he called David a man after his own heart. All right, let's reiterate on this before we move on, okay? Now, all right, you with me so far? This is really good, this chapter, isn't it? Really, really interesting. All right, in verse 13, both Annas and Caiaphas had been high priests. Annas was Israel's high priest from A.D. 6 to 15 when he was deposed by Roman rulers. Caiaphas, Annas' son-in-law, was appointed high priest from A.D. 18 to A.D. 36 or 37. According to Jewish law, the office of high priest was held for life. Many Jews, therefore, still considered Annas the high priest, a high priest, and still called him by that title. But although Annas re retained much authority among the Jews, Caiaphas made the final decisions. Both Caiaphas and Annas cared more about their political ambitions than about their responsibility to lead the people to God. Just like the churches are today. The one praying next to the president. Through religious leaders, listen to what it says, care more about their political ambitions than about their responsibility to lead the people to God. Though religious leaders, they had become evil. Okay, as the nation's spiritual leaders, they should have been sensitive to God's revelation. They should have known that Jesus was the Messiah about whom the scriptures spoke. And they should have pointed the people to him. But when deceitful men and women pursue evil, they want to eliminate all opposition. Instead of honestly evaluating Jesus' claims based on their knowledge of scripture... These religious leaders sought to further their own selfish ambitions and were even willing to kill God's son to get it. If that's what it took to do it. Okay, in verses 15 and 16, the other disciple was probably John, the author of this gospel. He knew the high priest and identified himself to the woman at the door. Because of his connections, John got himself and Peter into the courtyard. But Peter refused to identify himself as Jesus' follower. Peter experiences the next few hours would change his life. Okay, During the night, Jesus had a pre-trial hearing before Annas prior to being taken to Caiaphas, the, the entire high council, in Mark 14, 53-65. The religious leaders knew that they had no grounds for charging Jesus. They knew it. He didn't do anything wrong, remember? What did Jesus do? We read the Bible, right? He healed people, rose the dead. Healed. Why did they want to kill him? Because they were taking the numbers and the crowds from them and going towards him. They said, we can't have that. Now look what it says. Now let me just keep going here. We'll close before we go. They tried evidence, listen, the religious leaders knew they had no grounds for charging Jesus, so they tried to build evidence against him by using false witnesses. 
okay? Like it was in Mark 14, 55 to 59. We can easily blame the high council for their injustice in condemning Jesus, but we must remember that Peter and the rest of the disciples also contributed to Jesus' pain by deserting and denying him. They did. They denied him and deserted him. They all scattered. They said, we're not going anywhere. If he goes, we go. No, they all went. Right? The ones that said they died for him, right? So it wasn't just the high priest, was it? No. While most of us are not like the religious leaders, now listen now. We are like the disciples, okay? For all of us have been guilty of denying that Christ is Lord in vital areas of our lives, okay? Or of keeping secret our identity as believers in times of pressure. Don't excuse yourself by pointing at others whose sins seem worse than yours. Instead, come to Jesus for forgiveness and healing. In verse 25, the other three Gospels say that Peter's three denials happened near a fire in the courtyard outside Caiaphas' palace. Okay, John places the first denial outside Annas' home and the other two denials outside Caiaphas' home. This was very likely the same courtyard. The high priest's compound was large and Annas and Caiaphas undoubtedly lived near each other. Okay, We're trying to, I'm trying to paint a picture of what that night was like. Okay. But just remember, stop pointing out other people's sins. This is the problem that Christians do. Well, look at them. They're so Instead of saying, I'm just as bad as anybody else, who am I to judge someone else's sins? When, you're, when, you, when you do that, you're just in denial that you're just as bad as anyone else. And God can't help you in that position. He can't help you. This is a very humbling church right here. Because, listen, you know, in order for me to serve God, i got to be humble. I can't be proud and use everything that I have. i got to use what He's given me, which is the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that keeps me going. I stopped going after that gain. Worldly gain is an endless chase. Chase, chase this and chase that. Get better, get more, get this, get that. And you end up where? Empty. At the end of the race, it's like, okay, now what? At the end of this race, guess what? Heaven bound. We did the right thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You served me instead of yourself for the rest of your life. Which was the problem all to begin with. Serving ourselves is the reason why we need a savior. <laughs> I love it. Okay, imagine standing outside while Jesus is your Lord and Master is questioned. Imagine watching this man whom you have come to believe is the long-awaited Messiah being abused and beaten. Okay? Naturally, Peter was confused and afraid. It is a serious sin to deny Christ. Okay? But Jesus forgave Peter. Because remember he says, if, if you deny me, I will deny you. It's in the Bible, remember? And, and um, Peter 21, no sin is too great for Jesus to forgive if you are truly, what's, the, what's that big word? It's called repentant. You see, no 
sin is too great for Jesus to forgive if you are truly repentant. What is repentant? Willing to turn from it and change. He will forgive even your worst sin if you turn from it and ask his pardon. This is what churches don't do. They don't tell you that you've got to turn from your sin. They can tell you that God's grace keeps you keep doing it. God's grace is the power to stop doing it. The people just get worse. What happens when the, when the grace message is overpouring into people? They lose conviction and go full force into sin. Because I don't have to stop sinning because I'm going to heaven. Why bother? It's the wrong message. God's grace is to stop sinning, not to stay in it. Twisting scripture to their own destruction. We're not going to do that here. No, we got to repent. You're doing something wrong and it's against God, you've got to turn from it for forgiveness. Because the Bible says we're going to be judged for what we do after we get saved, whether good or bad. Amen? Now, this fulfilled Jesus' words to Peter after he promised he would never deny him. In Mark 14, 31. By Jewish law, in verse 28, entering the house of a Gentile would cause a Jewish person to be ceremonially defiled. Okay? As a result, he could not take part in worship at the temple or celebrate the festivals until he was restored to a state of cleanliness. Afraid of being defiled, these men stayed outside the house where they had taken Jesus for trial. They kept the ceremonial requirements of their religion while harboring murder and treachery in their hearts. You see it? They kept all the traditions of the religion while they still planned to kill Jesus. But we got to follow the religious ceremonies. I'm still going to go to church. Look, I'm going to do all the nasties, but I can't. But I still got to go to church and say I love Jesus. What we do today? It's crazy what people think. They think God is some joke. Read the Old Testament. God is no joke. He's got the ability to save or destroy. Okay? This is a really good start. This is a good, this is a good chapter. It really is. I'll open my eyes. For sure. All right. In verse 38, okay, Pilate was cynical. He thought that all truth was relative. Too many government officials... To many government officials, truth was whatever the majority of people agreed with or whatever helped advance their own personal power in political goals. Sort of like what happens today, right? They make their own truth. Where there is no standard or acknowledgement of truth, there is no basis for moral right and wrong. That's what the, world's, that's what the country's in now. Justice becomes whatever works or whatever helps those in power. You tell people, oh, I depend on Jesus, they'll say, oh, whatever works for you. That's what they say. Well, whatever works for you. No, that's the only thing that works. There is no alternative. And then what do Christians say? Oh, that's okay. Instead of saying, no, listen, if you don't believe in Jesus, heaven is not your home. That's the truth. Then you tell them that. Well, well, you know what? I believe in God, but not in Jesus. Well, then I'm sorry. Well, you're not going to heaven. That's what the Bible says. That's why it's so important to tell our family members and people around us 
that they need to follow to find Jesus. So we can be with them later. Because we ain't going to be with them if they don't believe in him. That's how important it really is. I love all the people in my life. I want them all to be with me in heaven. And the ones that I don't like, if, I, if they find Jesus, they won't be like that anymore. It'll change them. Even the ones that I don't like. He puts people we don't like in our life so we can get them saved. The ones that sand us down real good. Right? Any people that sand you down real good, you better thank God for that. Because there is no growth without resistance. How can you grow when you're constantly in a blessed state? There's no such thing. Right? You go to the gym, unless you have weight and resistance, you can't grow. And if you keep using the same amount of weight, you stop growing. So now you're going to get more resistance to grow more. Right? It's the same thing with your Christian walk. The more you mature, the more resistance you get. So you can get pruned and grow more. It's not that hard of a principle. But yeah, we don't like to suffer. We don't want to suffer for Christ. I just want Jesus to get, I want him to, I want to pray to Jesus so everything goes good for me. Jesus never promised us things were always going to go good for us down here. But he did promise us a safe landing. Amen. Amen. So if you want to enjoy eternal life, you have to recognize and understand God's ways. And whatever he's doing in your life is for your good. Everything. And not to complain about it. We have a nation full of complainers. Right? A nation full of Christian complainers. Instead of being joyful, say God's in control. Just think, just imagine if you just did everything God's way and trusted Him with everything. Whatever came your way, say, God's in control. Thank you, Jesus. God's in control. Just imagine how nice your days would go. No matter what's going on, thank you, Jesus. God put it there. He's going to take it out. If you had that mindset all the time, you would have joy. Because you know God's the one who let it, sent it and God's the one who's going to get rid of it. Amen? All right, we're going to stop there tonight. It's 807. Thank you for letting me share that with you. That was chapter 18 we got through. That was a really good chapter. And uh, we'll get into chapter 19 when we get together again, okay? Brittany's going to come up and sing, and we're going to close.
Thank you. That was beautiful. Lee, you want to come up and close us? Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Until we meet again, God bless. Peace.